Well, good morning to you. I hope that you are finding yourselves to be having a great morning. And even if it's not a good morning, if it's like my family, where your middle child wakes you up at 3.30 in the morning and refuses to go back to bed, and so then the whole family's up since 3.30. I hope, even if that's your situation this morning, I still hope you are finding it joyful to be here this morning. Honestly, I was uh, getting my, my mic on and right at the beginning of the first song this morning, and I heard you all singing from my office, and I was like, man, y'all sound good. So thank you for that encouragement, even this morning. If this is your first time here this morning, what we do generally in this spot is we open up the Bible, uh, the, the Word of God, and what we do is we read a passage and we think about it and we, and we study it and we, and we come to a conclusion about how it is supposed to change our lives. And so if you have a Bible this morning, I encourage you to open it to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Inside your bulletin, uh, is our scripture passage for, for the sermon today so that everything we're about to talk about next is right there in front of you and you can, you can look at that. Before we get too far into there, I wonder if who you've been thinking about this morning. Uh, hopefully, Jesus. Uh, but I wonder if you have been thinking about James Stewart and Thomas Burdu. Anyone? No? Okay. Have, has anyone ever heard of the mistaken case of James Stewart and Thomas Burdu? Anyone? Oh, man, they should be making movies out of this, okay? Uh, James Stewart, or English Jim, as he was known, was so obnoxious that he got kicked out of England and began a life of crime here in the United States. That included killing a bunch of gold miners, stealing their money, murdering the sheriff, and escaping from jail. And instead of, you know, keeping a low profile after he escaped from jail, he decided, English Jim decided to go and assault and rob more people until he was finally caught in February 1851. Except it wasn't him. It was some other guy who looked exactly like English Jim. It's weird because English Jim had this scar above his left eye and he was even missing the tip of his left forefinger. And Thomas Burdu not only had a very similar face, he had the exact same identifying marks. And despite insisting to authorities that they had the wrong man, Thomas Burdu was tried and convicted. Fortunately for him, English Jim didn't stop committing crimes even though someone else was captured. And so he continued on his spree of crimes until he was captured and then he confessed and then he was subsequently hanged just in time for Burdu to avoid receiving the same fate. Have you ever mistaken someone else's identity before? I was at the sunrise service and I could have sworn there was a specific individual there was there. And I was like, I'm gonna go say hi to that individual. And I kept looking around and then they weren't there anymore because I had mistaken someone else for it. Well, today in our passage, the first person to see Jesus resurrected mistook his identity. What might be the consequences when that happens? That's our goal today is to find out what happens if we mistake Jesus 
for his true identity. So we are in the Gospel of John. Today is Easter, and so I get to say this. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. What a wonderful day that we get to look at a very important part of the Bible together. And I like to give people roadmaps of where we're going and what we're doing because I like roadmaps. And so here is the big idea that if you get an emergency call, if your kid starts melting down, if you just get tired of being here, this is what we want you to walk away with this morning, okay? Here's the big idea. As family of Jesus, we need to rejoice in his resurrection and share in his mission of restoration. That's what we want to walk away with today. As family of Jesus, we are to rejoice in his resurrection and share in his mission of restoration. And so we're going to take a look at John chapter 20, beginning in verse 8 and going all the way through verse 18. Let me pray for us as we dive into God's word together. Heavenly Father, it is a humble thing to be able to read historical accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. What a privilege it is that we have these accounts that, that are life-changing by your Spirit. And so God, I pray that as we open up your word, as we look at it, that your spirit would do an incredible work in our hearts today. Lord, do the work that only you can do through your word, by your spirit in us today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me start off by reading verses 8 to 13. And we're going to kind of, kind of take it a chunk at a time. Now, the Gospel of John, this is John chapter 20. Because it is Easter, it is on the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And so this is after, for Jesus to have been raised from the dead, this is after Jesus had to die, okay? Good, we're all in the same spot. Here we go, beginning in verse 8, and here's what John writes. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Well, let's stop there for a second and think about this idea of disbelief. Really, this day all started with confusion. People, I remember back in February, people said that Putin had used the Olympics as a way to prepare for invasion before they thought he'd do it again. I think I watched actually the news about Russia about as much as I watched the Olympics. But the invasion didn't come immediately into the Ukraine, right? The day that it happened, I actually hadn't read about it. I only heard someone else talk about it. But when I heard it, I almost couldn't believe my ears, right? It's 2022. No way! Where there just be an open invasion? 
I was certainly was confused. And our passage actually starts with a similar amount of confusion. Mary Magdalene had come to the tomb early in the morning, and she saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was alarming to her because, after all, it was bad enough she had seen Jesus die. Earlier in John chapter 19, it says that when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So it was bad enough that Jesus had been arrested and beaten, that Barabbas, that terrible political activist, had been released instead of Jesus. It was bad enough that Jesus was nailed to the cross where he was publicly shamed and scorned and then he died. They didn't even need to break his legs to make him suffocate to death. He had already passed. It's terrible because he was supposed to usher in a new era with God's Messiah on the throne. And instead, he was nailed to a Roman cross until he breathed his last. And now, Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb. Mary, suspecting that it had probably been moved, but, but still with the grief hangover from the days earlier, it was still raw. And so Mary, seeing that the stone had been rolled away, went to tell Simon Peter and, and John, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John that we're reading. And, and they ran to the tomb. They saw the grave clothes lying there. The stone had been rolled away. The tomb was empty. And they believed Mary's witness of the tomb. They saw that the body was gone. But there's still this confusion. They, they didn't understand what Jesus still needed to do they did not understand that he needed to rise from the dead, right? So in verse 8 of our passage, then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. He believed Mary's testimony. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And so it all began with confusion. The stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, but they didn't understand it. So what did the disciples do? What would you do? They went back to what they knew. Other gospel accounts describe the disciples as going back to becoming fishermen again. Here, John says in verse 10, they went back to their homes. They had not seen the resurrected Christ. They, they did not understand yet about the resurrection, and they thought that Jesus had been defeated. Another way to say it, they didn't yet believe. I wonder if it is possible for the very people who walked with Jesus for three years. They heard every single one of his sermons. They had seen his miracles, and yet they still didn't believe. I wonder, isn't it possible for us too? I wonder, can we see evidence of disbelief in our lives? 
right? We may intellectually affirm Jesus, but I wonder if it's possible that we may not understand that Jesus needed to rise from the dead. No matter how many times we've been to church, served in church, read the Bible, has the resurrection of Jesus gripped us in a way that has altered our priorities or changed even our values? See, Christians have put everything on Jesus' resurrection. If it hasn't happened, then Christians are to be the most pitied people on earth for being blind to reality. But since Jesus has been raised from the dead, then our lives are actually supposed to be resurrection ruled. Our marriages are to be different because of the resurrection. The way we work in our professions is to be ruled by the resurrection of Jesus. The way we raise our kids, the way we spend our money, the way we give our money, and the way we prioritize our lives are to be resurrection ruled. Because Jesus isn't Lord of our lives if Jesus isn't Lord over all areas of our lives. So what could be the evidence of disbelief in our lives? Just like the disciples. Well, I think if after having read God's word, after having sung his praises and gathered with his people, if we just go home and if our lives are unaltered and unchanged, I think that is actually disbelief in our lives. If our lives just continue on the same, there's still disbelief in our hearts. But what's the first evidence of belief? Well, I think that's our lives being reshaped by Jesus' death and resurrection after Jesus himself. So the call for us is to not leave unchanged by an empty tomb. Don't continue on with our regular lives as if the tomb isn't empty and as if Jesus isn't raised. In our passage, instead of joy of an empty tomb, there was dread, there was fear, there was weeping because they had not yet seen the resurrected Christ. The disciples went home, but, but Mary stayed to grieve. It's right to say, look at the devotion of Mary here. She was at the crucifixion. The disciples abandoned Jesus. They went home. Mary, though still confused, stayed at the tomb weeping. And what is it that Mary found at the tomb? It was empty from Jesus' body, but it wasn't all the way empty in verse 12, was it? There were two angels sitting, one on each side of where Jesus had been laid. And while that might appear to be heaven awaiting for the announcement of Jesus defeating death in his publicly recognized resurrection, it might actually have something more important going on here. If you remember back in the Old Testament Israel and when they were in the wilderness between when they left Egypt in the Exodus and before they got to the promised land, you know, there was a, a special tent uh, where in, that was in the midst of Israel where the presence of God would dwell. And the high priest would make a sacrifice to God. Well, inside that tent, there was a, a special wooden box that was covered in gold called the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the lid was this thing called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, God would sit 
and he would accept the, the sacrifice on behalf of Israel. And on each side of the mercy seat was an angel, one on each side uh, of the ark. And so this is the ark of the covenant was where these sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel was to be made. So, so in the tomb here, as Mary witnesses, it's as if the sacrifice to God of Jesus himself on behalf of the people of God has been complete. And it is no longer simply a high priest who would know. It would be the entire world by Jesus, by, by Jesus being resurrected as he made full payment for sin. See, that's what's so interesting about Jesus' death and resurrection is it wasn't just a tragic moment for a nice guy. No, Jesus' death was actually purpose so that people like you and me would be able to know God in a very real and personal way. See, God created the world and everything in it, and he designed us to be in relationship with him, to know him, to trust him, to follow him. And instead, we rebelled against him. We wanted nothing to do with him. And so we, we created this separation from God by our rebellion. And the only way to fix that separation would be by blood being spilt. But as time went on, the worse we got, the further separated from God we would be. And so God did something incredible. He sent his own son into the world who knew no sin, who had never rebelled against God. And then the Son of God willingly went to the cross to take on the punishment for our rebellion. That is what happened at the cross of Jesus. It wasn't simply that he was just nailed to a piece of wood that, and he might have gotten some splinters. He was taking on the punishment for our sin. Jesus was the sacrifice that we needed so that we could be with God for eternity. And so Jesus, on the cross, paid the penalty for sin, and now Jesus, not being dead, with the tomb being empty, the whole world would then see that Jesus would give full payment for our sin. So without resurrection hope, here's what we see in Mary. We just see sadness. Notice what Mary thought in verse 13. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Well, thankfully, the angels are not weeping. Only Mary, because she did not yet understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Well, let's continue on in the story in verses 14 and 15. Here's, here's where we pick it up. And John continues to write. Having said this, she, Mary Magdalene, turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. We see an identity confusion going on here. It's almost like a bad comedy scene where Mary's the only one in the group that doesn't know what's going on. Mary's weeping, but she doesn't need to. 
Right after she spoke, she turns, and there's Jesus in the flesh, standing as if it's the most normal human thing to do after being dead. Though she did not recognize Jesus, we see in truth that there is actually no reason to weep. Jesus asks the same thing to Mary. He says, why are you weeping? Right? No one asks why there's weeping at a funeral. It's natural. But weeping at a ceremony, that's a little different. Right? It's, it's only natural for people to see someone weeping at a wedding ceremony to say something. Boy, mother of the bride, you don't look very happy right now. Uh, but Jesus not being dead makes it no longer a situation of weeping, but a day of celebration. Th this is the turning point in human history. God has redeemed his people. Th this is the great epic story of God's redemption of the world. So brother and sister, rejoice, don't weep. We know the troubles of life. We know this isn't heaven on earth. We know that there is enough death and betrayal and heartache to know that this is not the world that we are looking for. And yet in a time where weeping might feel very appropriate in our lives, there is news that turns weeping into rejoicing. Jesus, who was arrested, who was nailed to a Roman cross, who was crucified, affirmed to be dead, and buried is no longer dead. But he has been raised just as he said. Sin has been paid for. Death has been defeated. And Jesus has been raised from the dead. Even with everything that's wrong in the world, Jesus has been raised, and therefore we can rejoice even in tragedy and hardship. Remember that Jesus is risen. And with his resurrection comes the promise that those who have been changed by Jesus' resurrection will be raised to newness of life with him too. So Christian, don't weep. Rejoice. Because Jesus is raised. Do you notice of all the people to be the first to see the resurrected Jesus? It's not Peter. It wasn't John. It was Mary Magdalene. Not only was it a woman in a society that didn't even recognize a woman's testimony, but it was a woman with a history that many would call questionable. What an honor to be the first to see the resurrected Jesus. No one else would ever receive that honor. Equally important, this is an important reason as to why uh, this is actually an accurate historical account of Jesus. And because if it had been fabricated by one of Jesus' disciples, you know, as a bit of fake news, trying to convince people of a fake resurrection, then the last thing that they would use as a credible source of Jesus' resurrection would be a woman with a questionable reputation. They just wouldn't have done it. But every account of Jesus' resurrection begins with Mary Magdalene being the first to see him. 
the only motivation to do that at that time would be because it was a historically accurate account because it actually happened. Jesus' resurrection is true and therefore we have a reason to rejoice. Not only is Jesus not dead, he's speaking to Mary and she doesn't yet recognize him. In verse 15 of our passage, Jesus asked her, whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Remember, Mary still did not understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. But she was so devoted to Jesus being willing to take his dead body as the new body caretaker. In many ways, it's, it's even noble to continue to be devoted to a cause that inside your heart has just been defeated because everything was riding on Jesus not dying but taking the throne. You know, many people can be devoted to a religion, but we need something more than that. Dead devotion to a dead religion doesn't save. That's not the transformation that God has for us. We need to recognize the resurrected Christ who has redeemed us. You know, I wonder, Mary, who knew Jesus well, who probably ate meals with him, listened to him teach, had him in her home. She didn't recognize him. It almost begs the question, would you recognize Jesus if he was standing right next to you? Would you recognize Jesus if he was standing right next to you? Right, without resurrection confidence, you might be devoted to a religion that doesn't save. Would you recognize the voice of Jesus? Would you recognize his words? Or would you just mistake him as a gardener? Friends, we need to know the resurrected Savior. As family of Jesus, we need to rejoice in his resurrection and then share in his mission of restoration. Let's look at this last part of our passage, verses 16 to 18, and, and see what changes in this. So Mary, who thinks that Jesus is the gardener, then uh, talks to him, and then Jesus says to her, beginning in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You know, it's interesting, the end of our passage in verse 18 it ends with Mary proclaiming that she has seen the Lord. But what changed from gardener to Lord? What's the difference? Well, it's not Jesus. Jesus was already there, but Mary didn't recognize him until Jesus called her by name. Jesus is known as the good shepherd who calls us by name. 
Remember earlier in the Gospel of John, of John chapter 10, it says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Friends, Jesus has literally gone before his sheep by going and to die and to then be raised to new life and now calls us by name to recognize him, to know him, to love him, to follow him, and to be changed by him. Look at verse 16 with me of our passage. Jesus said to her, Mary. And that's when it changes. She turned and said to him, Rabbi. So today, hear the voice of Jesus calling your name to find life and hope and joy. I have actually complete confidence that if you are here today, that Jesus is actually calling you by name to believe in his death for your rebellion against God and to trust in his resurrection, showing that payment has been made complete. You could have been anywhere else. You could have slept in. And yet today, we are here together among God's people, celebrating Jesus' defeat of death. Now, maybe you're not a Christian here today, right? And, and you're thinking, well, I'm just here to, because my family made me. In verse 15, Mary's weeping is, is genuine. Her, her grief is real. Mary really saw Jesus die. She really saw him crucified. Mary wasn't in a dream state. She wasn't hallucinating. She saw Jesus die, and now the tomb is empty. And even then, when it created confusion, it wasn't until she saw the resurrected Jesus, and he called her by name, that she believed. If you're a non-Christian here today, I don't think it's by accident. And I wonder, what would it take for you to believe in the gospel? What would it take for you to know that Jesus has called you by name and for you to listen to his voice and to follow him? For Mary, it took the resurrection. And that same reality is before us today. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And he calls us by name to follow him. If that is something that you'd like to do today, maybe to trust in Jesus for the first time or maybe to recommit your trust in him, would you find me after the service? I'd love to talk to you and help you with that today. Hear Jesus calling our names. And let us find life and hope and joy in him interesting as much joy as Mary had it wasn't a reunion to reminisce about old times 
Jesus' mission wasn't yet complete. He, he'd been saying it for a while. In John chapter 16, he said, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And then now in our passage, in John chapter 20, Jesus says to Mary, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. So just as Jesus came from the Father, he still needs to return. Jesus' mission wasn't only to be with his people immediately, but to redeem them and to prepare them for bringing them to the Father. And so Jesus' mission was not only to rise from the dead, but then to ascend back to the Father. Jesus was born here on earth, but only because he was sent from heaven as God's son to purchase and redeem fallen and lost humanity. But before he was to ascend, Jesus needed to see his disciples, right? Grief had overtaken the disciples, even those who went to the tomb and didn't see Jesus' body. And so by appearing to them before he ascended, Jesus would give hope to the disciples that they desperately needed. But they weren't only his disciples. Do you notice how Jesus describes those who are following him? Jesus has united us in his family by his death and his resurrection and rightly calls his followers brothers and calls God the Father their father also. Jesus is solidifying our identity in him with his family. Christians now have the right to be called the children of God. He is our father in every sense of the word because we are now hidden in Christ. So Mary Magdalene, who had been weeping in disbelief, had gone to now belief, and then had gone into obedience and action. In, in verse 18, our final verse, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Jesus transformed Mary's grief to adoration, and to joy. Mary's joy then compelled her proclamation of the resurrection and the truth. Mary went and testified to seeing the risen Lord. So Christian, we are not only called by name from disbelief into belief, but from disbelief into action of proclamation by our lives. So join in the mission of God by proclaiming Jesus' resurrection from the dead, not only with our lips, but with the priorities of our lives.
We may not have seen the resurrected Christ yet, but we are reading accounts of those who did. And now we must make a decision. Was John delusional when he wrote this account that's still popular 2,000 years later? Was Mary delusional about the same resurrection? There were over 500 people who saw witnesses of the resurrected Christ. How do we explain it? How do we explain the empty tomb? Even non-Christian historians agree that the tomb is empty. The evidence makes the case convincing that Jesus rose from the dead. And if we believe it, well, the call is not for us to show evidence of disbelief in our lives. Not by just continuing and going on with our lives as if we never actually thought about the resurrection of Jesus. No, if we believe it, we are called to show evidence of that belief by following Jesus, by taking him at his word, by obeying his commands, and finding joy and hope that you do not know yet unless you know Jesus, because the world does not know the hope and joy that Christians have. So as family of Jesus, as those who can be called brothers to Jesus, Rejoice in his resurrection and let us share in his mission of restoration, of proclaiming hope to those who are lost. Mary went from identity confusion to seeing Jesus to proclaiming that she had seen the risen Lord. Have you recognized the risen Savior? Let us join in proclaiming his resurrection from the dead not just by going home, but by transformed lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we do not live this life trying to make it on our own, that we do not have hope only in this life only, but in fact, because Jesus has been raised because his followers are now fully forgiven we are called to join in that mission of proclamation that the tomb is empty and that we know the Lord thank you for Mary's proclamation thank you that you took her from being disbelieving to belief to action Lord, thank you that you call us by name. Help us to recognize the good shepherd's voice to join the mission of proclaiming the risen Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.